Well, God bless you. God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S.N. Crockett, Jr. of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship, coming to you this May 21st, 2020, with our latest installment of the truth of the gospel. The truth. Hallelujah. I get excited every time I say that. The truth of the gospel. Glory to the Lamb of God. Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. We bless you. We bless the Lord. We praise the Lord for allowing us to be here this evening. We're starting a new series this evening. And that is, uh, we're going to start the uh, uh, teaching on from the book of Ephesians. The, Paul, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesian Christians. We're going to start that tonight. We're going to take our time. Ephesians has six chapters where 1 John had five chapters. Ephesians has six chapters. And then after we study Ephesians, we will go back and say, now, now that we've studied Ephesians, how do we grow in grace? G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. How do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after having studied Ephesians? Same thing we did with 1 John. After we studied 1 John, we said, okay, now that we've studied 1 John, how do we grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, after having studied 1 John? So this is a pattern. It, it takes patience. This is teaching. If any of you are looking for a lot of uh, bells and whistles and excitement and hooping and running around, and that is not me. My, my, my calling is to teach the body of Christ teach whoever will listen many people won't listen because there's no emotional excitement involved and I don't tickle people's ears I, I give the truth of the gospel as God has given it to me to the best of my understanding according to his grace then I, I teach those who don't want to sit under teaching because they don't have the patience or whatever then I'm not your guy you, get, you have to find someone else but I'm, my, my ministry is the teaching the teaching ministry which helps form the bedrock of the church after the shouting and after the preaching and the sweating now the people have to be taught line upon line precept upon precept here a little there a little so we'll we'll we'll, we'll um we'll, we'll begin our study of ephesians tonight again i'm going to take my time this is going to take some time we um we, we have our broadcast every Thursday evening. Excuse me. <clears throat> we have our broadcast every Thursday evening at 8 p.m. And every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. We're going to take our time. We'll go through. I'm not going to go through all of Ephesians chapter 1 tonight. I'm going to go through part of it. I'm going to do an introduction. So I may not even get too much into the first chapter of Ephesians. God, it depends on how long the introduction takes. And then whatever we don't do tonight, we'll pick up on Sunday morning. So we hope you're we hope you have the patience and the time to listen to us. If you don't, we perfectly understand. Let us pray. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you just for the privilege of mentioning your name. In the name of your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, 
to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. We thank you that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. We bless you and we praise you that you sent your only son, Jesus Christ, into the world to die at Calvary's cruel cross for our sins. We thank you that because of his death, burial, and resurrection, that we have eternal life with you. You've called us. You've justified us. You've sanctified us. You are sanctifying us. Uh, you've adopted us. Uh, you've sealed us until the day of redemption. We thank you, Lord. You, you've done everything perfectly. You've done everything that you said you would do. You've done everything to secure our eternal salvation. We bless you and we praise you. Through your Holy Son, Jesus, we pray that as a result of this preaching, this teaching, and teaching, preaching all over the world, we pray that fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit would be manifested so that your people may be built up in the most holy faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints of God. We ask that you forgive us for our sins. We ask that you continually sanctify us, purify us, Help us, Lord, by your power, your grace, your glory, your might to um, renew our minds day by day. We pray for those who don't yet know you. We pray for their soul, Lord. We thank you that you have uh, given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through your Holy Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom be glory, power, majesty, and dominion, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. And amen. All right. So Ephesians, walking with Jesus, our Lord, through Ephesians, walking with Jesus, our Lord, through Ephesians. All right. Ephesians, written to the Christians uh, at Ephesus, written to the saints at Ephesus. Now, there's sometimes confusion over this word saints. What is a saint? A saint in the Bible is someone who has uh, been born again. A saint is someone who has been born again. Now, I know in the Catholic tradition, the person has to die, and then hundreds of years later, the papal um, authority we'll check and see what if they worked any miracles and this person would be what was called um, beatified, I believe I'm probably pronouncing the word incorrectly, and the person would be designated as a saint, such as Mother Teresa and other people who've been designated as saints. That's the Catholic tradition. But in the Bible, when the apostles wrote to different churches, they would say, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints, it simply means holy ones, to the holy ones. Even though in these churches there were people who were spiritually immature and a lot of growing had to take place, if you read Ephesians and Corinthians, Galatians, Thessalonians, Hebrews, uh, Philippians, etc. But they were saints, just as we are saints. We are holy ones of God. Positionally, we are holy ones of God. Does it mean that our behavior always matches what we are called? No, it doesn't. 
but we are still saints of God. The Greek word is hagios, holy ones. So the letter to the Ephesians was written to the saints, the holy ones, uh, at Ephesus. Now, Ephesus is in Western in uh, Asia Minor. Western, so when we think of Asia, we're not talking about Japan, Korea, the, the two Koreas, Russia, China. So when we think of Asia here, we're, we're talking about in the area of modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. So Paul wrote this letter to the Christians. Remember, originally they were called the way. And then at Antioch, they were first called Christians. It was probably a put-down. They were first called Christians, all oh, those Christians over there. It was probably a put-down, uh, a pejorative, a, a negative word. They were first called Christians at Antioch. So Paul wrote to the uh, saints, the holy ones, uh, at Ephesus around 60 A.D. When we say 60 A.D., what we're saying is if Jesus was born around 4 BC and was crucified around 29 AD, then if Paul wrote the Ephesian letter around 60 to 62 AD, then what you do is you subtract 29 from 60 and you get 31. Or if you, or if you subtract it from 62, then you get 33. So what you're saying here is Paul wrote the Ephesian letter approximately 31, 32, 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Remember, time is split into B.C. and A.D. All right, so he wrote to the Christians, to the saints, the holy ones. You are a saint. If you, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. Again, we're not talking about the Catholic tradition of somebody's been dead 400 years and then there has to be a papal pronouncement that the person performed a miracle or saw the Virgin Mary. We're not talking about that. That's not, we're not walking in Catholic tradition. God bless them. And, and uh, you know, I believe there are many Catholics who love the Lord Jesus Christ so that their, their story is not my story. Their issue is not my issue. I'm talking about what the Protestant Bible says. Genesis through Revelation, the saints, the holy ones, the hagios, the saints. So he wrote to Ephesus around 60 AD, written by the Apostle Paul. Now, I've got some words here, and I'm, 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 I'm going to post this on YouTube. When I post it on YouTube, it's going to look correct. But if you see it, it's going to look backwards, and I'm sorry about that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna show some words here, and when you see them, they're gonna look back. They're gonna look backwards. I apologize. That that's the Greek word for Paul right there, Paulos. Paulos. Then the next word is apostolos. He was an apostle, and if you notice, I circled. And again, I'm sorry, it looks backwards. But I'll, I'll post when I post it on YouTube, it won't look backwards. But if you, it right here, this word right here that begins the word apostle, it means from. So an apostle is one who is sent from another, especially called missionary. So Paul, 
says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's very important because the original apostles were called by Jesus. They weren't called by men. They didn't have to be, they didn't have to have hands laid on them by men, not the original apostles. Now I know there are some men today who say they are secondary apostles and I don't have a problem with that. I know there are no original apostles left, obviously, they've died. The original apostles, remember Jesus would see them by, by the seaside or fishing or whatever. And he would say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men or follow me, etc." And then he called Paul on the road to Damascus. The original apostles were not ordained by any men, by ecclesiastical, because they were the original church. So obviously it wouldn't have made sense for men to ordain them. I do know there are men today who say they are apostles and they've had men lay hands on them. I'm not going to fool with that. That's between them and God. But the original apostles were called by Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come follow me. Jesus knocked Paul off his beast. He was Saul then. He knocked Saul off of his beast. Um, when Saul was persecuting the church and he was on his way to Syria, to Damascus with letters to the chief priests that uh, if he found any of the way, that he would uh, be able to persecute them further. So the original apostles were called by Jesus and sent from him. So again, I know it looks backwards and I apologize for that, but that, that, that word right there, apo, that means from. So apostolos is one who is sent from another, a, a specially called missionary sent in this case by Jesus Christ. So Paul, he always began his letters. He would say, call, uh, I am an apostle. He, he would say, I believe he said in Galatians, neither by men nor of men, but by Jesus Christ. That's very important because there were many people who said, Paul, you're not an apostle. You're an imposter. You're posing fake news. Paul said, I'm called by Jesus Christ and I've got the bona fides to prove it. I've got the ministry. I've got the signs and the wonders, the divers' miracles. I mean, they were they were bringing uh, they were bringing handkerchiefs from Paul's body and laying them on people, and people were getting healed. Paul said, "I'm an apostle. I don't care what y'all say. Jesus Christ called me. I was on the road to Damascus. I'm an apostle. Now, if y'all don't want to believe that, that's fine. All right. So, written by the apostle Paul in about 60 A.D. The key phrase in Ephesians is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Just like a key phrase in Hebrews is better, 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 better. And there will be other epistles that have a key phrase that's repeated over and over. The key phrase in Ephesians, in Christ, in Christ, in him, in him, in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, in Christ. Written to proclaim and explain God's foreordained eternal purpose in Jesus Christ. Written to proclaim through preaching and explain through teaching God's foreordained, listen to that, foreordained eternal purpose in Jesus Christ. For some reason, the Holy Spirit told Paul to emphasize predestination and a foreordained plan of God. For some reason, the Holy Spirit had Paul emphasize it in Ephesians 
more than in his other epistles. I don't know why. It is mentioned, I'm going to go to a couple other passages. It is mentioned in some other letters, uh, but it, but for some reason in Ephesians, uh, uh, predestination, that, that whole thing about being foreordained from the foundation of the world, being predestined, it, 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 even just in chapter one, I've read chapter one like 12 times in the last few days from different versions of the Bible. And I've looked at some commentaries and stuff like that. But just just chapter one, he, this this um, this predestination, being pre being predestined, being foreordained, is a for some reason the Holy Spirit had Paul emphasize that to Ephesians. I wish I could tell you why it's emphasized here, but not so much in other places. Let me take you to where it is also mentioned though very familiar passages of scripture Romans if you go to Romans chapter 8 <clears throat> excuse me if you go to Romans chapter 8 and start at verse 28 Paul is going to mention the the uh, the being predestined uh here Paul says we know all things work together for good to them that love God to them who are called according to his purpose then he says in verse 29 for whom he did foreknow he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Our, God's plan of salvation is not something he came up with as an afterthought. God's plan of salvation is not, oh, you know, Adam and Eve uh, sinned. You know, I better come up with a plan C, a plan B. No. No. God's plan of salvation was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Now, it's a very controversial subject. It seemed like everything in the Bible was controversial. You know, what did, what did, did Jesus die at 6 p.m. on a Thursday evening or at 3 p.m. on a Friday? I mean, everything in the Bible is controversial, and it, I just can't stand it. You would think there'd be something that we could all agree on, right? Predestination, oh gosh, you, now, you, now you're getting off into what's called Calvinism, extreme Calvinism, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to give you what I know. I'm not going to claim to be an expert on predestination. I'm not. But I'm going to tell you that the Bible teaches that God's plan of salvation was predestined, uh, foreordained. And not only was his plan of salvation foreordained, those of us who are saved, it was in the foreordained plan of God. I really can't take it any further than that. His plan of salvation was foreordained. He, he gets off into it in the first chapter. <clears throat> it's heavily emphasized in the first chapter of Ephesians. Let me finish reading the Romans passage to you. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Then it says in verse 30 of Romans 8, moreover, whom he did predestinate, keeps in, so in Romans there's an emphasis on it in here in chapter 8, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. Predestined, called, justified, glorified, sanctified, justified. So the plan of predestination is something that is a New Testament teaching. And then let me read one more passage to you. It's in Colossians, uh, which by the way, 
Uh, if you're going to read, uh, if you're going to read Ephesians or study Ephesians, it's going to be good to also um, uh, read Colossians. It seems to be a companion book. And then also, if you're going to do that, it's going to be good if you would read Acts chapters 16 through 21. I've read 16 through 20. I, I didn't get a chance to do 21 because something else came up. But let me go to Colossians for a second. And then after I finish in Colossians, then I'll try to get back to the body of, of Ephesians. But Colossians says, if I can get to it, these pages. Uh, Colossians 2 and 15 says, if I can get to it. Colossians 2.15 says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That doesn't seem to make sense with what I'm talking about. Hmm. Let's see here. That, 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 that doesn't seem to make sense with what I'm talking about. I think I wrote down the wrong scripture. Sorry about that. All right. But anyway, it's in Romans. If I find the other passage, um, I'll, I'll bring it up. But that, that, that sentence doesn't seem to make sen sense with what I'm talking about. But anyway, written to proclaim through preaching and explain through teaching God's foreordained eternal purpose in Jesus Christ. If you're saved, it's not an afterthought of God. God had his mind on you before the foundation of the world. God had his mind on you before the foundation of the world. That's what, that's what the Bible is teaching here. Written to those who made a conscious decision to walk in God's grace. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. The, the letter to the Ephesians was written to those who made a conscious decision to walk in God's grace. But remember, God is omniscient. God is all-knowing. And because God is all-knowing, he knows A from Z and back to A. God knows from the beginning what the end is going to be because he's God. He's, he's, he's not saying, you know, I wonder what, or gee, I wonder. No, he's God. So I think I know part of his plan of predestination is, has to be based on the fact that he's all knowing. He knows. And because he knows he has all knowledge, he has all foreknowledge then the fact that you got saved on such and such a date and such and such a month and such and such a year is, is no, um, new, is no new, it's news to us and it's news to you. If I tell you I got saved on May 20th, 1979, that's a big celebration for me and I hope you rejoice with me, but it's in the mind of God, God knew it before the foundation of the world. So part of the, part of the teaching about predestination and being foreordained has to also include the fact that God is, is all-knowing. If he were not all-knowing, then he couldn't qualify as the God of our salvation. He would, he would be one of those idols that Elijah mocked in, in the book of Kings, I believe it's first Kings. But he's all-knowing. There's nothing that God doesn't know. Because he's almighty. He can't be almighty. He can't be almighty and then not be all-knowing. Because if he's not all-knowing, then he's not almighty. And because he's almighty, he's all-knowing. So when you got saved, you rejoiced. The angels in heaven rejoiced. But God is saying, you know, yeah. <laughs> I knew it before the foundation of the world. Before the angels were created. God knew 
that we will be saved. So part of this thing about predestination, and again, I don't claim to be an expert on the subject. I'm, I'm, I'm really not. I'm, I'm, I'm not. It, far from it. But I do know that God is all-knowing. All right. Written to inform the believers that they are rich, wealthy Christians, rich and wealthy in Christ, no matter their earthly condition. Ephesians was written to inform believer, believers in Jesus that they are rich, they are wealthy in Christ, no matter their earthly condition. If, if you read Ephesians, and here I'm just dealing with the first chapter, I'm not even dealing with chapters 2 through uh, 6, the whole book, of course, 1 through 6. But here, if you read Ephesians, Paul talks about our condition in Christ. I'm sorry, our position in Christ. Not just our condition here on earth. He says our position with Christ is exalt. We are exalted. He says we're seated with him in heavenly places. Even though we're not physically there yet, we're still here on earth, hiding from a virus that nobody can see. <laughs> but Paul says positionally, We've been exalted with the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes sense. But positionally, he says, we, we have been exalted with Jesus. I preached a sermon years ago. Your position, not your condition. A lot of times we get caught up in our condition. We get our eyes off of him who's seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Remember Paul said in Colossians, remember I said Colossians is a companion to Ephesians. Paul says, if ye then be risen with Christ... He says, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your affection on, uh, on things above, not on things on the earth. One of the mistakes we make is we set our affections on things on the earth. He says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ. When he shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So in, in that Colossians passage at the beginning of chapter 3, Paul is saying, get your mind off of this earthly stuff and get your mind, you know, looking under Jesus, right? Get your mind on, on him who died for us and rose again and is even now seated at the right hand of the Father. So Ephesians tells us we are seated with Jesus. And remember when Paul wrote this, I don't know, I can't remember, Philippians, I think Ephesians, yeah. When Paul wrote some of these epistles, he was in prison. He's in jail. He's chained to a Roman soldier. He was allowed to have visitors. He's chained to a Roman soldier. And he's writing as he's chained to a Roman soldier. He didn't have a, a fan over his head and three iPads sitting in front of him and, and uh, a, 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 a colored TV, you know, with 500 channels. He's writing to the Ephesians and the Philippians and the Colossians and the Corinthians, etc., there were four prison epistles. I, I, I know that if, um, uh, Ephesians was one and Philippians was one. I think Colossians, and I can't remember the other one. But he's writing, he's in, he's in prison. He's incarcerated. But he's chained to a Roman guard. He's writing, we're seated in heavenly places in Christ. That had to be, only the Holy Spirit can give the, a man, can elevate a man like that who's in prison. And he knows eventually that his time is going to be up. As we see in 2 Timothy, he says, my time's up. I'm ready to be offered. My time of departure is at hand. 
and he did suffer. Uh, he was beheaded at Nero's chopping block by Emperor Nero, the Roman Emperor Nero. So, but he writes, we're seated in heavenly places with Jesus and you are complete in him. It's a very, it's a very, very lofty, you know, language um, used in the letter written to inform true believers that they are rich, wealthy in Christ, no matter their earthly condition. This rubs against the prosperity gospel, which says that all Christians should be wealthy. There's, there are no, there's no teaching in the New Testament that supports that. There's no teaching in the Bible, but I'm going to emphasize the New Testament since that's the covenant we're living under. There's no teaching in the New Testament that says all Christians are to be wealthy. Now, obviously, there are wealthy Christians. There were wealthy Christians back here when, when, when Paul wrote. There are wealthy Christians, but there's no mandate. There's no teaching in the Bible, in the New Testament, that says all Christians should be wealthy. It just, it just that's not in the Bible. That's, that's uh, where somebody has taken a couple of scriptures out of context and has created their own doctrine, possibly for their own benefit. So they can make merchandise of God's people. But when you see Paul writing these letters and John and James and Peter, when you see them writing these epistles, there's no indication that all Christians have to be at a certain economic status. That 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 teaching is not in the in the not in the Bible that's from Genesis through Revelation. Now, if somebody has created a new Bible that I'm not aware of, then that teaching may be in there that they've inserted, etc. But in the in the Bible that goes from Genesis through Revelation, 66 books, that teaching does not exist. Now, if you're a Christian and you become wealthy uh, one way or another, there's no sin in that as long as you're wealthy toward Jesus Christ. It's not a sin to be wealthy. But to say that all Christians should be wealthy, that's a sign of God's favor. Uh, and if you're not wealthy, there's something. If you're not always healthy, that's there's something wrong with your faith. That's blasphemous. That's that's a doctrine of demons. That's that's not true. But because so many people prefer to believe that because it, it scratches the itch that they have and because people won't take the time to investigate what God's word for themselves, they'll believe something like that. But it's idolatrous. It's exalting man to a place that God never intended him to be exalted to. Most Christians in the world are poor. See, we're looking at the United States. We're wealthy compared to Christians. In, but you go to Africa and Asia, Latin America. Most Christians in the world are poor. So when Paul talks about riches in Christ, he's not talking about material riches. He's talking about our spiritual position, our spiritual condition with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right? Written to clearly explain God. These are going to be the the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the different things here. The Ephesians was written to clearly explain God and his relationship to us through Jesus Christ. The, the, uh, the, tech, the technical term is theology. From the Greek word for God, theos, right? Theos, T-H-E-O-S. So theology. So Ephesians is written to clearly explain our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. We've been reconciled to God. You hath he quickened. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Paul is going to say in, in chapter 2. We were reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing here to Gentiles. 
And he's going to write um, in chapter two, you at one time, you were Gentiles. You weren't even part of the covenant. You weren't even part of the of the covenant that that God had with uh, with Israel. But God, it was rich in mercy. And he, he he says to the Roman Christians that God has grafted us in to the tree of his kingdom. So uh, theology, study of God. So we're going to study our relationship to God, but only through Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, there is no Ephesians. Without Jesus Christ, there is no church. Without Jesus Christ, there is no reconciliation. Without Jesus Christ, there is no uh, filling of the Holy Spirit. Without Jesus Christ, there is no grace. Without Jesus Christ, there is no um, uh, 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 eternal life. Without Jesus Christ, 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 these things don't exist. Jesus' name is mentioned in the first chapter of Ephesians over 20 times. Over 20 times. So God, theology. Ephesians was written to clearly explain our relationship to Jesus, Christ, Christology. Christology. Christ and then add the ology. Ephesians was written to clearly explain our relationship to uh, Jesus Christ Christology Ephesians was written to explain the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a body of Christ pneumatology pneuma where we get the word uh, like pneuma like lungs like air pneuma a pneumothorax pneumatology the study of the Holy Spirit the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation and our walk with Jesus. You'll see the Trinity mentioned in, in Ephesians. It's not going to say the word Trinity, but you'll see the, where the Father is working. You'll see the Son. You'll see the Holy Spirit. And there'll be time that you'll be able to see all three of them working, uh, clearly see all three of them working in conjunction uh, with each other. So, so we'll, we'll study the role of the Holy Spirit in our salvation and our walk with Jesus. Pneumatology. Pneuma, N-P-N-E-U-M-A. And then the, and then the tology. Ephesians was written to explain our former relationship to sin. Hamartiology. Hamar. H-A-M-A-R-T-I. And then ology. So Ephesians was written to explain our former relationship to sin. You have he quickened. You were dead. You meaning all of us. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were in sin. You were pagan. These were pagans. They worshipped at one time. They worshipped Diana. The goddess of the Ephesians. She was a fertility goddess. And Paul came preaching. Paul and Silas came preaching and his, and his companions, Luke, they came preaching. And when they would preach, people would get saved and they would stop buying the idols of the temple of Diana. And people got upset about it because now Paul is messing with their money. See that? Paul was now messing with their money. So if you read in Acts chapter 
16, 17, six, excuse me, 16, 17, 18. Paul is preaching and he's messing with people's money. They're hollering, great is Diana of the Ephesians. She's a goddess. She's a, a fertility goddess. So since she was a fertility goddess, there's money involved and there's sex involved. Perverted sex involved. Sex is God's idea. But if that idea is perverted, as it has been for eons and eons and eons, then there's a problem. So Paul comes preaching. People start getting saved. They're no, they're no longer buying the shrines to Diana, the goddess of the Ephesians. So then Paul and them end up getting persecuted and beaten and whipped and thrown in jail, etc. And that's when you get the Philippian jailer gets saved, etc. When you read Acts chapter 16 through 21, you'll see the beginning of several churches, the Philippian church, where God saw a uh, God touched the heart of Lydia and the Philippian jailer got saved. Then you'll see the beginning of the Corinthian church. Then you also see, see the beginning of the Ephesian church in Acts chapters 16 through 21. I read 16 through 20. I didn't get a chance to read 21 because something else came up, but I'll read it by the time we meet again on Sunday. All right. Ephesians was written to explain our preordained and present salvation. I'm not, I, I, I have to give you the whole counsel of God, so I can't just skip over preordained. Pre uh, some of the commentaries I looked at, they, they just skipped over. They went from verse one, like verse five. They, they didn't want to talk about it. I'm, I'm not going to do that. You got to talk. I, I mean, these are commentaries written by, you know, people with, you know, eight degrees and stuff. They just skipped over there. I ain't going to talk about that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. The Bible says that we were foreordained. Our salvation was foreordained. The Bible calls us elect according to the foreknowledge of God. We were preordained. I, I read the Romans passage. I don't know why. I, Colossians 2.15. I don't know. Where that that might, I wonder if that was First Peter. I think that might have been First Peter. I don't know why I put Colossians. Let me look at First Peter, and if it's not, I'm not going to waste time trying to look for it. Uh, but, but there's another passage I wanted to show you. First Peter two. Nope. No, that's Second Peter. Hold on. Let me look at First Peter two fifteen. I don't want to get off track here, but there was some for some reason I wrote two fifteen and I put Colossians, and that was a mistake. Nope. It's not 1 Peter 2.15. I don't know why I wrote Colossians 2.15. I'm not going to worry about it. All right. But written to explain our present, our preordained and present salvation. You read, just, just read chapter one. He, I mean, it's like the Holy Spirit says, you got to talk about this. Was there something in the Ephesian culture that that uh, uh, caused the Holy Spirit to cause Paul to emphasize uh, that? I don't know. Because he emphasizes it much more in Ephesians, even at the beginning of the letter in the first chapter, than he does in some other places. I read the passage for Romans. And there was another passage. For some reason, I wrote Colossians 2.15. I don't know why I wrote that. I don't know. All right. I was probably uh, distracted by, by something. Ephesians was written to show the relationship between the true believer and Christ's church. For we are... We are all in the body of Christ. You may belong to a local church, but we are all in the body of Christ. Christ is the head. Christ is the head of the church. 
No one else. The Pope is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. We are the body. Christ is the head. We are the body. Christ is the head. We are the body. We are the body. Christ is the head. That's, uh, uh, um, well, it says so here in my next notes. What, if anything, does Ephesians say about, I'm sorry, the relationship between the true believer and Christ's church? That's ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is where we study about the church. It's where we get the word church, ecclesia, the called out assembly. So ecclesiology is where we study about the church. So Ephesians goes really into our relationship uh, with Christ. He's the head. We are the body. Ephesians calls for Christian unity, etc. All right. What does Ephesians teach us about sanctification? Sanctification is a word that has been often misused. But sanctification means to be called out by God for his holy purpose. Sanctification means to be called out, separated by God. In this case, through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Because one of the main ministries of the Holy Spirit is to, is to, is to sanctify us. We play a role in it also, but the Holy Spirit uh, is, to, is to sanctify. And this sanctification is an inner working. This sanctification is not de depending on your outward appearance. You can have outward appearance and not be sanctified or even saved at all. You can look saved if, if there is such a thing. But the Holy Spirit is working a work of sanctification within us. To conform us to the image of Jesus, God's dear son. So what does Ephesians teach us about sanctification? What does Ephesians teach us about spiritual warfare? Everybody knows about Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the whole armor of God. A preacher preached a sermon years ago, the six-piece suit. I didn't preach it. I'd like to preach it one day, but a preacher preached a sermon, the six-piece suit. Put on the whole armor of God. And then Paul talks about because we have an enemy who has a very organized, determined, malignant kingdom. Of course, the enemy is Satan, the devil, Diabolos, Apollyon, Abaddon, the accuser of the brethren. Jesus said, because they accused Jesus of casting out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils, the lord of the flies. Jesus said, y'all must be crazy. Why would Satan cast out Satan? If he did that, his kingdom would, his kingdom, you see that? Jesus said Satan has a kingdom. I didn't say it. Jesus said, why would Satan cast out Satan? That would be stupid for Satan to cast out Satan. That would mean his kingdom would be divided. So Jesus, no, our Lord and Savior, said Satan has a kingdom. And it's a well-organized kingdom. It has hierarchy. It has principalities. It has powers. It has spiritual wickedness. Watch this. In high places. See, we think Satan is just on a, a preacher used to say years ago, a preacher down in Macon, Georgia, uh, Pastor Bill Little, Power Deliverance Tabernacle. He used to say, y'all think Satan is just on a can of, y'all used to, he, he said, he used to say, y'all think the devil is just on a can of potash, whatever potash is. 
I'm not a country boy. You have, you know, he, but he used to say, y'all think the devil's just on a can of potash. He was saying, y'all don't think the devil's real. I would have, had that been me preaching, I would have said, y'all think the devil's just on some underwood deviled ham. Now, see, I can identify with that. I couldn't identify with potash, but the people knew what he was talking about. I would have said, y'all think the devil's just on um, uh, some underwood, a can of underwood deviled ham, you know, with the devil with the long tail and the pitchfork. No, he has a highly organized malignant kingdom. There's even evidence in the Bible that there are demons who rule over cities. There's evidence of this in the Bible. There are demons who rule over cities, Atlanta, New Orleans, Los Angeles, Moscow, Peking, Peking, I guess I should say, New York, Orlando, Dallas. There are demonic powers. The Bible says Satan is the prince of the power of the air. So there, there's evidence in the Bible that there are ruling demons who, that rule over cities around the world. There's evidence of it in the Bible. All right. What does Ephesians teach us about Christian unity? That's, that's a main theme in Ephesians, Christian unity. What does Ephesians teach us about that? We'll talk about that. Ephesians may be um, evenly divided into two sections. Our position in Christ which we've been exalted to heavenly places in Christ Jesus and our practices through Christ. So we've been exalted. We're seated in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. But then our, what, about, what are our practices in Christ? He really goes into that when you get into chapter four. He talks about how the, you need to separate yourself from these blind Gentiles who's, um, feeling, who have given themselves over all, to all kinds of immorality, etc., all right, we have been chosen by the Father and adopted through Jesus Christ. That's Ephesians chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 6. We have been redeemed by Jesus. This is where I told you the Holy Spirit. You can see the, ho the Holy Trinity. I'm sorry. You can see the Trinity. Let me go back. We have been chosen by the Father. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6. We have been redeemed by Jesus, the Son. Second person in the Trinity, right? Ephesians 1, 7 through 12. We have been sealed, hallelujah, to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have been sealed for eternity by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13, 14. Let me say it one more time, then I'll move on. We have been chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 6. We have been redeemed by Jesus, the Son. Ephesians 1, 7 through 12. We have been sealed. He says this in two places in Ephesians. In Ephesians 1, 13, in Ephesians 4.30, in Ephesians 4.30, he says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you've been sealed. Hallelujah. You've been sealed till the day of redemption. And I made the point when I did my 12-minute church yesterday. I said, whenever a king uh, wrote a proclamation or whatever, he would put the signet of his ring on it. He would put the, uh, the imprint of his ring on it. And once he did that, nothing could change it. That's why you read in the Old Testament, 
the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be altered. Remember that from the book of Daniel. So once the king wrote a proclamation, etc., and put his ring, the signet of his ring, the imprint of his ring on it, nothing could change it. Well, if that earthly king could do that, that's what God has done for us. He has sealed us and nothing can unseal. No, no, no angel, no demon, no preacher, no pope, no prophet, no apostle, no prelate, no bishop, no pastor, no deacon, no friend, no foe can unseal what God has sealed. So he says in Ephesians 1.13, but also in Ephesians 4.30, you've been sealed. He says in Ephesians 1.13, which we'll get to next week, hopefully, or the week, whenever, next Thursday, whatever. He says, after you believe the gospel, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. You've been sealed. Signed, sealed, and delivered. Hallelujah. We're his. Signed, sealed, delivered. We're his. Hey, here we are, babe. <laughs> Hallelujah. Glory to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Signed, sealed. Hallelujah. And delivered. Hallelujah. Glory. I know Stevie Wonder's not a not a apostle, but he, he had it right. Signed, sealed, and delivered. But not I'm yours, we're his. Glory to the Lamb of God. So he says in 113 and 430, sealed. When? How long? Until the day of redemption. Not until six months until the day of redemption. Not until you know you do something wrong until the day of redemption. Of the purchased possession. We are the purchased possession. We've been bought. Oh, what was the price? The blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Oh, I felt that. The blood of Jesus Christ. Glory to the Lamb of God. The Lord blessed the Ephesian church or churches because it is thought that this letter, you know, in those days, they didn't have a printing press. and You didn't have everybody. You know, I got probably... 20 Bibles in this house. That's not including the electronic Bibles I have on my iPads and stuff. They didn't have that in those days. They didn't have, the printing press had not yet been invented. So if you had a letter, which was a scroll. So if you had the book of Ephesians, it had to be circulated in that whole area. You didn't have, I've got one, uh, right now, I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I got nine Bibles, and those are the ones I can see, ten. I got ten Bibles within reach of me right now, and that's not including the ones that are, I got, I got, that's not including the, the electronic Bibles. And then I got some Bibles sitting up there from years ago. Ten I got like 20, 20 something Bibles, hard copies. That's not including if I go, uh, if I go to my iPad and, and click, I, I got Bibles there. I got, and it got all kinds of versions and I got Greek, English, New Testament. I got the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament. They didn't have that. So when you say book of Ephesians, it wasn't a book. It was a scroll. It was a scroll and it had to be circulated. I can't fold this thing up, so I'm not going to try to. It had to be circulated. So it is thought that 
Ephesians wasn't just one church. It was a group of churches, almost like the seven churches in the book of Revelation. It was a group of churches in, in Ephesus in that area. And the book, the scroll had to be circulated among those brethren, among those churches. So it's not like us today where you got grandma's Bible sitting on the coffee table, the old King James Bible with the red print. And then you've got Bibles that you haven't even looked at because you're looking at your electronic Bibles or whatever. It's not like that. It wasn't like that then. You remember the printing press is what really revolutionized the multiplication of printed documents. The printing press, Gutenberg, that was what? That was about 15, 1600 years later. So now we got... I got, man, I got, I got Holman, I got NIV, New King James, King James, uh, I got all kind. I got the NASB, I got all kind. I got like 10 Bibles within, if I, if I, if I leaned over, I got like 10 Bibles. Then there's another, there are about 10, 12 Bibles sitting up in that closet, right? You can't see them. I got like 22 Bibles and that's not in, including my electronic, you know, on my cell phone and my iPads and stuff. They didn't, they didn't have that. It was a, so when you hear them talk about the book of Isaiah, it wasn't a book. It was a scroll. So it would, it would be circulated throughout the area. All right. So anyway, let's see. I lost my place here. All right. So we have been sealed. Okay, I said that the Lord blessed the Ephesian church churches with some of Christianity's greatest leaders. Now, listen to this carefully here. I'm going to close in, you know, soon. The Lord blessed the, listen to some of these leaders the Ephesian church or churches had. We're not talking about some jack leg preachers here. When I give you this list of preachers that the Lord blessed the Ephesian church with, you're going to go, what? Man, wish my church had them pastors. Glory to God. Listen to some of the pastors, overseers, people who, uh, spent time uh, shepherding the Ephesian churches. Listen to these names here. Timothy. He was a bishop in the Ephesian church. John. John. John the Apostle. The Apostle John was a superintendent in the Ephesian church. Remember John spent time in Ephesus. Paul. Priscilla, Aquila or Aquila, Apollos. The Ephesian church had no reason to say, Lord, you know, we need a good pastor. Let me read, let me give you those names again, then I'll move on. Timothy. When Paul writes to Timothy in first and second Timothy, uh, he's a bishop in the Ephesian church. John the apostle. Imagine that. Who's your pastor? Apostle John. <laughs> Paul. Who's your pastor? Paul of Tarsus. Glory. Priscilla. Right? Now, she was a woman. I'm, I'm not sure if she was a pastor, but she was one of the helpers in the word in, in, uh, in, in Paul's ministry. But she helped in the Ephesian ministry. Aquila, Aquila or Aquila, depending on if the accent mark is there. Apollos. You remember how Apollos was eloquent 
you know, he came out of Alexandria, Egypt, eloquent, probably a black man, eloquent speaker, eloquent. And, uh, but he only knew John's baptism. That's why Aquila and Priscilla had to pull him aside and say, look, you know, you, you great preacher, but we got to show you a couple things. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. All right. Yet Jesus had to sternly rebuke this church about 35 years later because they had left their first love. Remember, they were the first church. The first church Jesus addressed in the book of Revelation was the um, church at Ephesus. He said, y'all doing great things. Y'all calling out those phony apostles. You got great works. You're doing great things. Jesus said, you're doing great things. Good, good. It's like your child brings that report card home. With five grades, three A's, a B, and a F. <laughs> Jesus said to that church, I cannot ignore that F. He says, I have something against you. You've left your first love. Probably because when, when Jesus said that, we're talking about what we call second generation Christians. Because this is 35 years, about 35 years after the founding of the church. So we're talking about second generation Christian. You know the old saying, one generation makes the money, the next generation spends it, wastes it. Remember Madam C.J. Walker made the money in the hair care products and all that, but it is said her daughter took that money and party, <laughs> squandered it. So one generation makes the money, the next generation often squanders it. So we're talking here about second generation Christians. These, these will be Christians who, um, for the most part, did not see Jesus Christ when he walked the earth. They are, they are the second generation. And Jesus, if you read Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven, he says, I got some, he said, you got three A's and a B, but we got to talk about that F. He said, you've left your first love. You got, you got good works. You got good discernment. You're calling out those who say they are apostles and they're not. He said, you got good works. But you've left, you've left your first love. You're going to have to fix that or we're going to have problems. All right. Okay. Listen to the holy apostles agape love for, for his Ephesian uh, brethren. That's in 15 verses 15 through 23. I don't want to go into that today. Let me read this to you and then I'll close a few minutes after that. I told you the name of Jesus was mentioned so many times just in chapter one. All right, listen to this. Sometimes it's going to be Jesus. Sometimes it's going to use the word him. Sometimes it's going to use the word his. Sometimes it's going to use the word he. So sometimes it may be talking about the father. But often it's talking about Jesus. But let me read to you. In, in, in Ephesians 1, 1, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 2, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 3, Lord Jesus Christ, Christ. Ephesians 1, 4, he. Ephesians 1, 5, by Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 7, redemption through his blood. That has to be talking about Jesus, right? Ephesians 1, 7, his grace. Ephesians 1, 8, he abounded in wisdom and prudence. That could be talking about the father, his wisdom and prudence in, in sending his son and redeeming us. Uh, Ephesians 1, 9, his will, his good pleasure, he hath purposed. Ephesians 1, 10, in Christ. 
Ephesians 1.11, in whom the purpose of him, his will, the fullness of him. No, that's, that's not it. I, in, in whom the purpose of him. Ephesians 1.12, his glory, 